This is exactly right. If you don't understand where you're coming from as a parent, like you said, one parent at a time needs to look at themselves to really know how they want to move forward as a parent. Even if you're in the middle of the process of parenting, it's never too late. But if you don't understand where you came from and where you want to go, you're going to run right into where you don't want to go. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for parents to seek the same in their own lives while striving to be the best versions of themselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, with increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your life to the fullest. Today's show, completely aligned, is Family Values with Dr. Charles Sophie. Dr. Sophie is a psychiatrist and the former medical director for the County of Los Angeles Department of Children and Family Services. He has been a staple on Dr. Phil for the last 20 years. He now brings his experience and expertise to his new book, which we'll be talking about today, Family Values, continuing his work on repairing parent-child relationships, just as he did in his previous publication, Side by Side, the Revolutionary Mother-Daughter Program for Conflict-Free Communication. In addition to his work with Dr. Phil, Dr. Sophie has appeared on numerous television programs such as Today, Good Morning America, CNN's Larry King Live, Anderson Cooper 360, and on the Fox News Channel. We have lots to talk about today. Dr. Sophie, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I love your show, by the way. Thank you. I... um, Your book, which I'm holding right here, it's a beautiful book, um, is full... uh, It's basically an extension of the work that I have watched you do on TV and uh, on Dr. Phil's podcast. So relatable, uh, very, it's practical, it's relatable. And as always, you are just, um, you lead with, uh, very, with authenticity and transparency in, it's in your work. And, and it seems to me in your life. Most of the time I do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'd like to start by asking what what were the influences that led you to becoming a psychiatrist and for those listening Dr. Sophie is board certified in three areas adult child and adolescent and family so I guess the other question is how many hours are in your day to be able to do that well um, I went into psychiatry unfortunately because I didn't pass the course in medical school (laughs) (laughs) I had a night job and I was missing the morning class. So absenteeism made me fail it. So I had to take it in the summer and I ended up really loving it. Hmm. And I did adults and then I did children and then I did family practice. What was it that grabbed you? Um, Honestly, in the beginning, I didn't really try to get up for the class because I used to say, "Mm, these people, they can't, they must be making this stuff up. They're not hallucinating. They can't be that ill whatever. I just didn't understand the pathology behind it and the neuroscience. And then once I got into it, it's fascinating. And I loved it. 
and I just continued it and then saw the need for child psychiatrists. And even like you say, for your whole, you know, your whole show is one child, one family at a time. If I could help one child have a better life, then I was succeeding. So that's why I went that route. Hmm. It, 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 it feels very, the work feels as I, as I read about your work and listen to you talk about your work, it feels very personal in a sense, very mission driven. It is. It really is. I mean, all of us have had something in our childhood, good, bad, or indifferent, and anything I could do to help a child not suffer a moment is a, is a positive for me. So some of the horrific things I've seen over these years, especially here in LA, it's the largest child welfare system in the country, 40,000 children out of home care, horrible abuse and neglect, anything that puts a smile on their face or gives them hope that there's life ahead in a better way is a positive for me. So yeah, it's, mm. it's personal on some level and it's really global on another. I, I'm also struck by the ability to, your ability to go, what I would say, hone in and then pan back with doing the direct day-to-day work in the trenches and then also to be a a figure, a figurehead, a personality, someone who, you know, speaks and shares knowledge with larger groups of people. Is it is it difficult to to laser in and then pull back? Well, it's not difficult honestly for me. It's with the it is a difficult process though because it's building trust with the people in the trenches that when I laser in and then I pull back and then I'm telling them what I think or what to do. I need them to trust me instead of just think that I'm looking differently at them. So for me to work alongside of them and build that trust and then step back and show them through experience and the knowledge as well as under the foundation of that trust really Mm -hmm. makes it a successful process. Otherwise it would be difficult. Mm -hmm. Well, and another thing that um, I feel you are known for is in your approach is a very non-blaming, a non-blaming approach. And, and, you know, for those folks listening and several folks who have gone to different mental health professionals, I have to say, as being one, I've, I've had my own evolution, the older I get um, and the wiser I get from doing the work and also um, interacting with more people and professionals that it, it's, it's unfortunately not always the case where helpers are not blaming the person for the situation they're in or, or connecting like the behavior defines the person. And it, re- it makes it really hard for someone to trust you and go on a process of change if they're, if they're feeling that. Yes, a hundred percent. And I really think a lot of that comes from the person who's trying to help that hasn't resolved within themselves, their own stuff that they project onto that person a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And they're yeah. having a struggle within themselves hearing this or didn't feel defended themselves or, you know, protected. And so now are upset with that person for not being protected or standing up and protecting themselves or doing it in the way that they should, or going after the person who did something to them, but that's not going to help anybody in any situation. So that's why any helper needs to really be pretty clear within themselves before Mm -hmm. they can help. Mm -hmm. 
this whole idea of uh, nature and nurture, which continues to be, um, I think, seen with different percentages of how much of um, how how much of who we are, we just come into the world with our DNA and our genetics, and then how much of us are influenced by our family and our culture. Um, I just give you a little vignette of someone I uh, spoke to yesterday, and um, this child was having all of these outbursts and un- uncharacteristic, intermittent outbursts, but it started to become more consistent over time. And and the current conceptualization is of like perfectionistic um, explosiveness. And this mom was really emotional, saying, "You know, I did everything in my power." to my knowledge, not to replicate how I feel like I was or some of the stuff that I have been working through. And here it is. And I I said, you know, we got to be really kind to ourselves because what I've learned as a parent is going from someone who used to be much more of a, hey, yeah, if you just do this, this would happen before I had kids to realizing with my own like these beings do come out a certain way with temperament, even before we have an opportunity to mess it up. And then we, then we have an opportunity to parent. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, I'm glad you bring this up because this is exactly the exciting part of the book that I wrote in family values. There's, there's, you know, if you don't understand where you're coming from as a parent, like you said, one parent at a time needs to look at themselves to really know how they want to move forward as a parent. Even if you're in the middle of the process of parenting, it's never too late. But if you don't understand where you came from and where you want to go, you're going to run right into where you don't want to go. Mm-hmm. And so everybody that says, I'm never going to do what my mother did or my father did, they end up doing the exact same thing because they think doing the opposite is the answer. Right. And it's right. really not the answer. It's trying to figure out who you are and what is going to be right for you based on your DNA, your experiences, your culture, all that stuff, because you can't just shoot from the hip and do the opposite. You, you state that your philosophy is simple and you're speaking it right now. And that is, you say, parenting begins with you, not your child. Right. And that is obviously we're aligned in that. And, and yet that is really hard for many parents to digest, especially in a culture of, uh, we, I think we would agree there has been a, a very child-focused culture, um, maybe not in many of the families in the welfare system in the same sort of way that I'm going, where I'm going right now, but with like an over-focus on better fixing more monitoring and that um it seems easier for parents to focus on their kids than to take a step back and think wow if i do some work on myself this will not only improve my life but it actually will directly impact my child's life absolutely i mean that's why they probably didn't do the work they should have done on themselves before they got married to figure out if that's the right person to marry. So they just keep kicking the can down the road by distracting themselves. So they get married, they get a relationship. That's what society thinks they should do. Then they have kids. That's what they should do. And then they just focus and hyper-focus on their children. Like you said, I see all populations. I see the child welfare situation. I see the, the, 
affluent the the affluent families that are overindulging their kids and you know at the same time every kid ends up in the same place with with you know poor parenting whether it's rich or poor or in between and right. so the issue is it still comes back to parents who don't want it or don't know how really to start to deal with themselves and they're afraid and at the longer the process goes on the more fear-based it becomes and that's the point of this book it's don't be scared and it's not a big deal there's a couple simple tools get a roadmap and follow it mm -hmm. and and you do lay it out in a simple um very sequential format of course life is not sequential but if folks when you get this book it takes you through step by step how to as the subtitle to reset trust to establish boundaries and then to connect with your child and you talk about essential things that are needed for that process to occur so take us through these essential starting points for parents to cultivate this environment in their kids for them to be able to have this trust and this connection and this safety the reason the reason there these five are essential I tried to make them as less mental health as possible because it's less scary mm -hmm. and more doable in most people's minds. So it's based on an acronym SWEEP, like the broom sweeping, S-W-E-E-P, five key areas, sleeping. So getting your child to sleep at the right time at night, same time every night, enough sleep, quality and quantity for yourself and your child and your family as a whole, working. Those eight hours of the day your child's in school, is it the right academic environment? Is it the right social environment? Are you working at a place where you find, you know, success and you feel purpose? Even if that's, you know, no matter what you're doing, whether you're working as a CEO or a stay-at-home parent, are you eating as a family? Are you eating properly? Is it good food? Are your kids working on hypoglycemia? And that's what you get. Emotional expression, dealing with your emotions on some level, both both in your marriage, if you're in a relationship, and with your children, talking about emotions, and then play, which is hobbies, things that we do by ourselves for self-soothing and things that we teach our kids to do to self-soothe, as well as socialization hobbies. So those five areas put people to work to assess those areas of themselves, their kids, and their family as a whole. And then where the deficits are in those places is the roadmap you make to build that connection and trust with your child. And before you know it, it's not mental health, but it becomes mental health. Yes, yes, yes. And wellness, right? right. Um, you lay out several questions on the way for someone to unpack, as you say, their baggage and get to know themselves and understand where they came from as well as taking an inventory of their current family situation, there's loads of very simple yet powerful questions. And it seems to me it takes courage to really answer those questions honestly. It does. You're right. And that's the scary part. So I try to make it as palatable as possible, less scary, and simple so that people can get some insight into themselves and to their families, because this is the blind spot that we're trying to get to. And is this, is this the reset, but is this the process of the reset? That's it. It's that simple. Mm -hmm. And it, it may not take two minutes. It might take a while, but it didn't take you overnight to get here, but it's all okay. There's no time clock ticking. There's nothing. It's just a process 
so that at the end of the road, you have a family that has great family value, some traditions built through the process, and you know yourself and you know your child. And then you set your child up to have a better trajectory going forward of how, what a marriage is, what a relationship is, how to parent, and they'll know what they don't want and who they are much better than you did when you started. And that's all the goal is to, for them to be better than you are because mm-hmm. that's what every parent wants. You know, in watching you um, over time on Dr. Phil and um, also some of the vignettes in the book, something that you deal with quite a bit um, is power struggles and power imbalances. And is can you give a, a percentage of what percentage of the time is that a primary problem or challenge in a family? Well, probably about 70 to 80% of the time. And I think it's a positive strength for a child who is in a power struggle with a parent, because that means that child is strong in many ways, intellectually, emotionally. And those are the places that I use as building blocks. Mm. So I see that as a positive. And the more often I see it, the better it is. And the more I could utilize it as a starting point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like the strength-based approach. You hear that, everyone? So if you have this strong-willed child who is challenging you regularly, yes, it can be exhausting, and yes, it can be difficult. And um, if we see it as a strength, it's a starting point to figure out what is the push, right? Like what is behind the push? And and especially with some of these very strong-willed individuals that you're describing, Dr. Sophie, in my experience, it can come from their being over-controlled and overpowered in a way none of us would want to be. And there's a reaction to that. Yeah. There's a message in the madness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, personally, I learned that from my own mother and father <laughs> or I wouldn't be where I'm at. I've had to push mm-hmm. to get out of it and push to the top. Okay. So many places to go here. I, um, Parenting style. Let's talk a little bit about parenting style. And you've outlined uh, three particular parenting styles where I, I love the language. I haven't, I haven't seen that language before. Um, tyrant parent, feather parent, and seesaw parent. Right. Uh, say, tell us a little bit about each of, these, um, each of these styles that you've observed over the years. They're pretty self-explanatory. The tyrant parent is what it says. It's that over-controlling person you just described who's controlling every inch of their child from breathing to sleeping. The feather parent is the one who does pretty much the opposite. That's really into being their friend instead of a parent and afraid. And then the seesaw just really can't decide what side to be on. Sometimes they're parenting as a friend. Sometimes they're like a policeman and it just confuses a child. And, you know, the tyrant one makes a child angry. And if they're strong, the child is strong. They're going to try to take over and push back. If they're weak, they're going to crumble. With the feather parent, they're either going to be strong and overtake that parent and run the show, or they're going to be weaker than the parent and nobody's running a show. And the seesaw, the kid is going to be angry and confused. And I appreciated how you talked about there. There is a time, a, a potential time and place for each of these right. approaches, yes. um, and trying to move towards balance. Yes, and that's the key. I mean, you 
if you know yourself, you're not going to be triggered by your child when, and then start to argue back with your child when it's typical for your child to be arguing with you and you just step back and try to come to a place to discuss it with them at a certain age. You know, when you have a teenager, you're not going to get into battle. Sometimes it's trying to come to a compromise. But with a five-year-old, sometimes it's using words instead of screaming back. But if you are not solid within you and know you as a parent, you're going to be triggered. That five-year-old in you is going to be triggered. That 12-year-old is going to be triggered. So the more a parent knows themselves, the better they can balance which parenting style is best at which time. Mm -hmm. This takes, of course, not only a tremendous amount of self-knowledge, as you are pointing out, but also the ability to regulate oneself's emotions, right. back to that so, emotional expression. Right. So if you're sleeping and you're eating and your sleep is in you're going to have a lot better control and understanding of yourself. What about this idea that parents, this old, older idea, parents need to know best. Parents have to have all the answers. Parents need to be right and have authority in the moment in order for kids to feel safe in the world. Well, I think children need to feel safe emotionally and physically and a sense of well-being and that's a parent's job to provide that. But it doesn't have to come with a sledgehammer over their head or by them just, you know, walking away and letting a child run the show either. So it's a balance that you have to keep a check in to and know when to step in, step out, take your foot off the gas, put it on the brake. But again, that comes with self-knowledge and understanding of yourself as a parent as best as you can. But again, never put the pressure on yourself as a parent to have all the answers because nobody does. I don't, you don't, none of us do. It's a shoot from the hip a lot of times. Um, and, it and it absolutely is. Yep. I tell a parent is it's okay to tell your kid you don't know. Mm -hmm. Honesty is the best policy. They'll respect that instead of any kind of story you're going to say or anything you're going to make up that's going to fall apart anyway. Honesty is the best place to be. Say, you know what? I don't know. Let me go check. Let me think mm -hmm. about it. Let me talk mm -hmm. to your other parent about it. Yeah. I yeah. I, I, I appreciate that. And everyone listening, that's it's so important because I, I feel there's pressure. Pressure. People, parents feel pressure to have those answers and to have them in real time. And and that often gets us in in trouble. Um, I, yeah. I, I'm thinking of an, an anecdote um, when our son was... I don't know, 10, 11, 12. And we were having, he was trying to, he was systematically wearing me down on first person shooter games. Yeah. And, um, you know, we were holding a line and we held a line longer than, um, than most. And he could play at his friend's houses. And then, um, he was, it was just a debate. And, uh, my wife and the, his two sisters were just sick of hearing about it. It would happen at the dinner table and he was a very good debater. And, uh, I finally was at this loss and I said, you know, what I can't understand or what I'm, trying to, what I'm trying to figure out here is if you will respect me more or less if I say yes to you. <laughs> and it actually, it, it, it paused. And, and I was, I, this wasn't a strategic intervention. This was like, okay, I don't know where else to go and just drop nice. down, drop my guard down. And it, it actually gave him pause and it, it, it opened up a conversation. He's like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, there's a few things that, you know, you're really good at persuading and that we've given in. And then you later say, I can't believe you let me do that. So I'm trying to decide for your development here, like which way to go. And so 
it, 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 to me, in hindsight, it's not an example of yes or no. It's kind of that our kids, I guess this is the Scott Peck stuff back in the day. It's like he's saying, right? It's not whether you say yes or no, but that your kids know that you care enough to consider what they're asking. Right. Exactly. Right. And have a discussion about it then. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it builds a lot of respect on both sides. What honesty is the best place to be. Yes. And again, and it takes courage back to this. It It takes courage for parents to be honest and vulnerable. Yes, because they think they're giving in or they're going to be looked at as weak or whatever. But really, it's like when you tell somebody who cries, that's the strong person. That's the strong parent who can go there. What, in all of your years of doing this work and consulting, are there a few just key, key factors when you see parents from all different sorts of backgrounds and experiences able to start to make this switch towards health and regaining their family? Like, are there, are there the, these elements that you can synthesize? Yes, and honestly, that's what sweep is. I mean, just having your home, yourself, your children sleeping hmm. restores so much sanity mm-hmm. in their home that everybody can think and their tolerance level is up and everybody's eating properly. Mm-hmm. So honestly, just those simple things, that's why I don't want it to be overwhelming for people. It's just get your kids to sleep at night at the same time you go to sleep, everybody sleeps and restores their brain simply at that point, you got a lot more going for you. Which it seems so simple and yet it's so powerful. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. When did how did the, the Sophie method through the years, when did it when did it really start to coalesce from you? You know, all these thousands of hours plus of work. Um, you know, when did it all kind of come together that you really saw this roadmap come to be from your work? Well, I mean, it started to really come together because I was seeing the key elements of the sweep come together over years. And I was saying the same thing everywhere I went, whether it was knocking on somebody's door at two o'clock in the morning and their kids are still up in the living room while they're smoking crack in another room or, you know, they're fighting in Beverly Hills and their kids are downstairs on a video game at 3 Mm a.m. So it didn't matter, but I just saw that there were elements across the board that were, you know, compelling and standing out to me. So I started to look at those physical things and how they were impacting people's mental health in general. And then I found myself saying, well, do this first and then do that. Mm -hmm. And then over years, I just saw like I'm saying the same thing everywhere. So Mm -hmm. it's a simple map. Put it together. Mm-hmm. These are the elements. Make sure they're in place. If they're not, make the map to get them in place. Mm-hmm. And and I think if you being a physician and medical provider, taking this holistic approach of, um, as you talk about in the book, you know, there are so many physical and medical causes for emotional and behavioral challenges and looking sure. at everything. And I think sometimes um, the mental health field that is not rooted in um, medicine can unintentionally negate that and looking at all behavior and psychological issues as just emanating 
from that as opposed to all of these other neurochemical physiological issues at can be a play. Right. I mean, it would be amazing when I would tell a parent like, well, when was the last time you had blood work? You know, mm -hmm. your depression might just be your thyroid. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it was, sometimes it was other issues that were medically based and nothing to do with their mental health. Mm -hmm. So making it simple and easy and not heavy mental health. And there's always these heavy duty mental health problems made it more palatable also for parents to be able to engage in a process to evaluate. Mm -hmm. Another one of your gems is the family portrait and yeah. the family portrait is, um, you know, is obviously a real thing and it's a metaphor. Um, five essentials, uh, including actually showing up for it. So tell us, tell us about uh, the family portrait. I mean, I, to me, the family portrait is similar to like, look at all the pomp and circumstance that went on when this queen died. And I mean, like all of those family values and traditions and portraits and all that stuff that have, have a legacy. And that's what people were watching. That's what pulls people in the longevity of it all and to see the, the, the power that it all has. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm trying to tell people. There's a lot of power in these things that we've lost focus about traditions and cultures and, and a family portrait is a huge deal. And I mean, years ago, everybody would have a family portrait up on the wall in their home. Now they don't, they might have it on their computer on some level or their kids or something, but you need a family portrait and it's a metaphor for you need to have your family together showing up at certain points in your life, all dressed up, ready to go and all for the same purpose. Mm -hmm. with the same shared values, understandings, and, you know, certain rules and boundaries that your family hold to be dear and true and value. And, you know, there's and, meaning and, to all of that. Yes. And I, I really, I appreciated the, um, the different approaches that families take, not that one is better or not, but as some families are all instructed to wear the same clothes, other people yeah. just show up as they are. Some people are posed. Some people are not posed. It's like, how do, how do you see these different ways of being and how they play out in, in family culture? Well, I think it's interesting because it all defines who that family is internally. Like, do they see humor as their main strength? Do they see, you know, rigidity and the way they look as their main strength? Or, you know, do they use humor? I think it tells you a lot of whatever that family values as their strengths and their pillars and their values. And so that's how I read a lot of that stuff. A lot of people now do Christmas family photos or whatever, but that's where I learn about a lot of families on how they would take this portrait or what they would see as the way they would demonstrate their family values. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Another aligned concept that you talk about over and over again is modeling the behavior you want to see. How difficult in your experience is it for parents to embody that concept? Well, I can tell you from my own self, I'm sure you can. It's very difficult mm -hmm. because I get triggered. And, you know, the more I know myself, the more I can control myself, the less I'm going to be triggered. And then I can model what I want them to role model themselves. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, again, it comes back to take having the guts to take a look at yourself. 
mm-hmm. and be able to then control yourself because you're not going to control yourself if you don't know what's happening inside of you as your child's poking at you mm. or as you're arguing with your spouse and can't look, you know, you're having a hard time controlling it when you know darn well in your logical side of your brain, it's the wrong thing to do in front of your child. Mm-hmm. I'm uh, remembering being triggered by one of my kids when um, some behaviors that this individual was doing was worrying me and triggering my anxiety about something. So I, I s- reacted with saying something which was more based out of my worry. And this child said to me very calmly, Dad, given who you are and what you do, I'm very surprised to hear you say that in that way to me. And it just, it just stopped me in my tracks because it was spot on. It was so spot on. Well, at least you taught him well or her. Yeah. Oh, man. Very humbling. Very humbling. Very humbling. And you do, you also uh, share in the book about how much, you know, you've learned through your relationship with your son. And it's like, it doesn't matter, no matter how many hours we do the work, we are still a regular human being in a parenting role with a new situation with every day and year our child gets older. Absolutely. And it's, there's no, you know, there's no crystal ball to know. Even when it's happening, I still don't know what to do sometimes. And I have to think about it a lot or talk to other people or Mm -hmm. Yes. Every time we think we're done with a parenting lesson, we seem to be delivered another opportunity. Yes. Even when they move out, it's not, it's not over. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Something else, Dr. Sophie, which you have been talking about and writing about, and all of us in the mental health field have been seeing uh, with COVID, one of the many um, unfortunate consequences is an increase in separation and divorce from an already very large percentage. And you talk about this as we need to talk about this is how do we do this with our families, even in the midst or aftermath of separation and divorce? Well, I mean, the reason I talk about it so much is because it's so we still haven't mastered how to do it well for our kids. Mm hmm. And so, I mean, the bottom line is even when you're divorcing your spouse, you're not divorcing your children or you shouldn't be. And out of shame or guilt, a lot of parents run from their family, either because, you know, they're embarrassed or they've done something that they, you know, being held accountable for and they're whatever. But you still have an obligation to your child. And both parents divorcing should keep the focus of the best interest of their children as their main course and core of their plan and being able to blend and get to a place where you can co-parent together in a civil way is the best thing for your child. So that's why I want to talk about it and put it out there. So people aren't afraid of it. It doesn't matter if you're embarrassed. It doesn't matter if you're ashamed or you feel like you failed or your parents didn't divorce, but you are, it doesn't matter. Your children still are, are in pain and it still hurts and you still have to focus on it and try to blend. Mm-hmm. The more they see you love in a loving way, their parent that you're leaving, the the easier it's going to be for them because, you know, they feel innately that they need to take a side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the research has been clear for decades as well as clinical experience is the key factor in a key factor in child adjustment and wellness is 
parental um, harmony versus conflict, wh- whether you're together or apart, correct? Absolutely. I, I, I just want to spend a little more time on this as for those folks out there who are going through a separation or in the process of divorce. If you could give you know, some very, a few specific just bullet points of what, what's the, what's the ball to keep their eye on regardless of all the chaos, regardless of all the emotion. It's always complex in these situations. So cutting through all of that, if they could just focus on one, two or three things during this process, what would you say? Number one, it is the best interest of their children. So every decision they make should be focused on that. It's very difficult, though. The second is no one's going to win, whether it's money or custody or whatever. It's not a winning thing. It's not about who can beat the other. And at the end of the day, you're going to co-parent with this other person for the rest of your life one way or the other. Why not make it the best way that you can for your children and at least treat them the way you would want to be treated. Mm-hmm. And if you can focus on those three things, you're not going to be battling over money because you got to beat the other one over the head and get the most money or the most custody. It's not about, it shouldn't be about that. If it is, that's what you have to realign. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But those three things, best yeah. just for your kid, nobody's going to win. And you got to be able to treat the other person with respect and the way you want to be treated. If you can remember those three things, as tough as it is, you'll get through it. And your kids will survive in a, the best way that you can. Mm-hmm. And in terms of looking at um, dashboards, as you talk about, or um, indicator lights, what should folks be looking for in their kids to know that, okay, we need to take a look at something here. We need to adjust something. something something's not right. Honestly, going through their sweep, and if you kept, you check sweep every couple of weeks every couple of months or you start to see a change in some mm-hmm. way shape or form of your child socially academically you'll get it you'll see don't ignore a red flag don't ignore mm-hmm. a change that's mm-hmm. significant enough or something you hear from a friend of your child or another parent that mm-hmm. they notice just don't ignore that stuff and you check a sweep and you'll come up with whatever it is where you can keep an eye on something to see if it's going to become a problem mm-hmm and this is reminding me of one of the stories in your book. It, um, when there was behavior change of this uh, teenager, female teenager, and it was seemingly behavioral change in the, quote, right direction. She, right. Instead of being an average student, now she was getting good grades. She changed her friend group to a bunch of high-achieving people. She was posting less on TikTok and social media. And so at face value, wow, this is great. We're seeing all this positive change, but this very yeah. intuitive mom reached out to you and said, you know, I just want to check in because there are all these changes and we just want to make sure that everything's okay because there's so many changes. And it turns out that while the behavior on the outside was looking positive, that this person was, um, was vaping as a self-medication for an undiagnosed ADHD. And right. there was some unhealthy things behind it going on, but through looking at this and having the courage to reach out, it allowed for a healthy course of intervention and life. Right. Yeah. Instead of it becoming a nightmare and parents just being happy that she was doing better, you know, mom followed her gut. And mm-hmm. so I always tell a parent, if your gut's telling you something, don't ignore it. Good or bad. It doesn't matter. 
Mm -hmm. you can see a good thing could really not be such a great thing. Yeah. And that parent intuition, which, um, I don't know if we're, are we, do you think the, the medical mental health world at times inadvertently downplays that or takes that away? Like parents are taught like to listen to the experts as opposed to listen to themselves. Yes. I think Mm -hmm. we downplay that a lot. And I always tell parents, listen to your intuition. I mean, half of the parents that come to me come because something doesn't feel right. I'd rather them seek out help and assistance and guidance if something doesn't feel right than something not being right. Mm -hmm. And it's obvious. Mm -hmm. So yes, I think we downplay it a lot. And again, it, it goes back to the courage for folks to look, to buy a book like this to answer the questions, to um, seek um, mental health support. Um, it takes courage and we are fallible human beings. Like we do, we don't, we make mistakes. We learn everything is not going to be perfect. And it just takes courage to step into this, to start this process. Right. And I'm, here to tell people don't be afraid it's simple it's easy it's mm-hmm. getting your children to sleep at night whatever that's going to take and mm-hmm. co-parenting in a better way when as as people go through your book and answer these questions when what would be a trigger or indicator for them to also seek support in processing some of this i'm thinking about the numerous folks who have experienced trauma um or other related challenges that, that really get triggered by doing this important work? Like where is that, okay, go it alone versus, you know, it might help to do this in concert with a mental health professional. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I would advise you do it if you can with a mental health professional, as soon as you get the answers, Mm -hmm. because you're going to need guidance on how to get it together, whether it's just the sleep part or whether it's the eating part or the emotional part, any of them. You're going to need guidance, and so the more guidance you have, the better, especially if you're going to be triggered inside or you don't really have the knowledge or the insight to know yourself well enough yet. So, mm-hmm. you know, the earlier you get it and the, the sooner you get it, the better, because it'll only make the path much less resistant. Yes. And this goes without saying, but I think um, it would be helpful for you to share with folks that there is no uh, timeline on the pacing of going through such important and uh, deep questions. And I can see it coming perhaps in waves where you get in flow and then you hit a wall and you need to process and you come back to it. And there's no timeline here. Absolutely not. Starting the process is, is a a success at the, no Mm -hmm. matter what. Nice. Nice. And I'm always available. Email me, you know, email the show. I'll help anybody out that needs it. If you need a free book, let me know. I'll get it to you. Dr. Sophie, I feel it is time for the parent footprint moment question. Okay, I'm ready. Okay. Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself, had a new awareness as an individual, as a parent, or even an awareness of your own parents. And that new awareness had a positive impact on your life, your child's, and those you love? I would say probably about eight years ago when I stopped being 
bothered about what happened to me in my childhood. And I would hear my parents say, we did the best we could. Or my mother would say, I told you I was sorry. I didn't know. And it didn't resonate to me until one day it just hit me because I had moved away geographically. Mm-hmm. And I realized, yeah, she really did do the best she could, she, whatever. And that changed. Like my intensity for that went way down. And I was able to see that she really did do the best she could. I can't go through the rest of my life like this. It's not fair to anybody. And it really helped me see what I was pushing down on my own child then. Mm. And I pulled back a lot. So Mm. it was very impactful for me to be able to find that forgiveness within myself and her. Mm. And again, another example for everyone that here is a a triple board certified psychiatrist with tens of thousands of hours doing the work and helping families that still we come to these things at our own time in our own way as humans. Absolutely. Yeah. And it also, that story also loops back to an important concept you talk about, which is forgiveness. Absolutely. And it starts with yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, she forgave herself. I wasn't forgiving myself. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Yeah. Don't tell her. Uh, you know, she's, we're not going to tell her. This, day, this stays between us. It's all confidential. <laughs> right. <laughs> Dr. Sophie, uh, thank you for joining us today. I know how busy you are um, and these conversations and everywhere you're out uh, in the world and on media really do, I know you know this, but really do make a difference to those who hear your words. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Let everyone know um, where they, of course, can get the book and uh, what you're up to with all of your other, besides your practice, all your other various uh, media endeavors. I am, you can email me all the time at drsophie at drsophie.com, but I'm on Dr. Phil regularly. There'll be a lot more coming up. The book launch show airs October 4th. Then there's more shows after that. I have a YouTube show coming up, lots of appearances in the next couple months, and lots of you know talks and consultations in my private practice. So I'm here if you need me. Awesome. Awesome. And when you guys, if you have not seen Dr. Sophie on TV, he is talking to you even when he's not talking to you, and he's talking to you in a very direct and respectful way where you can take this knowledge and wisdom and you can put it in your back pocket for later or you can try today or tomorrow to do one thing to improve your life and the life of your children and families. Yes. Just take one step and do it. You'll love it. Yeah. It's not as scary as it sounds. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everyone. That concludes a uh, very meaningful and informative discussion. Go out and get family values, reset trust, boundaries, and connection with your child. You will love it. There is so much in this book, and it is so digestible. Thank you all for listening, for being a part of our community, and for your five-star reviews. Please share the show with everyone you think will benefit. As always... I will ask you 
to be the person you want your child to become and to ask yourself the guiding question I ask myself each day, what footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Follow Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show.